All right, and welcome everybody to the GC On Demand podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. Uh, you can find me. I'm Disco Posse here in the Green Circle community. And uh, we're actually, this is an OpenStack uh, Summit recording, which is kind of cool. Uh, we've had a really great show at the Summit, had a chance to talk to a few folks and actually catch a few live at the event. And with that, I'm going to introduce uh, our guest today. So I'm very happy to have Kenneth Hoy with us. I hope I don't butcher your uh, your name pronunciation. <laughs> I'm always worried I'm going to do. Uh, but uh, Ken, you want to introduce yourself to the folks, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the summit. Sure. By the way, you you actually are one of the few people who got my last name correctly. So I applaud you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I win on that one at least. <laughs> Good. Uh, so my name is Ken Hoy. Uh, I am currently a technical marketing manager and OpenStack evangelist at Rackspace. So my primary focus is on how to uh, enable people to know more about what OpenStack can do for them and, and where uh, Rackspace can help them with that. So the one thing I always want to, I enjoy talking with folks who've been around the community, you know, in, and you've been around a lot of communities. It's great. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been lucky to have known you throughout, you know, a, a lot of evolution in our own careers mm -hmm. and, and the industry at large. And I, I like hearing about early OpenStack. You know, you've, you've, you were a rack spacer, or racker rather, mm -hmm. you know, for, for years, and then you've, you've moved out through a few organizations. So this is kind of neat. You know, we've mm -hmm. gone Austin to Austin. We've done this evolution of the OpenStack Summit. You know, what's your view? How many summits have you been to, for one thing, and kind of what are some things that you pick out as, you know, neat, interesting, and, and how has it changed as you've watched it? Yeah, I think um, obviously it's in, with any open source project, uh, as things grow, you see obviously just the numbers grow, um, and also the uh, you start moving into having uh, less develop not less developers but more non-developers participate, operators, uh, business people. So you're definitely seeing that clearly. I think the other thing that's uh, that's very interesting is to see how many more. Uh, end users now are coming to the summits. You know, I think one of the, to be honest, one of the complaints that some folks had was in previous summits, it seemed like only vendors were showing up. <laughs> it ended up being a B2B, dev-to-dev -dev yeah. kind of experience, right? Yeah, and this and this year, I think uh, the attendance is about 7,500, and I've heard projections of uh, upwards of you know 1,500 to 2,000 end users. Wow. Part of that crowd, which is a big change, and I think uh, more importantly, shows that uh, OpenStack is uh, slow, maybe slowly, but it's definitely getting traction, uh, and not just among uh, the kind of next uh, startups that want to do, you know, cloud, next-gen cloud, but also among the mainstream, you know, the banks and uh, and healthcare and different industries like that, that that actually have an interest in what OpenStack's about. Yeah, there's been a lot of cool use cases that were highlighted. I think one of the things that I always pick out is they it, it is really nicely built for large scale implementations and like maybe folks that had, you know, they have a big developer workforce in their organization already. They seem to be the early adopters, but do you see maybe non-developer focused organizations starting to embrace it more and what's the what's brought them closer to embracing OpenStack? Yeah, I think um, I think for a while there the, the folks who are mostly focused on, on OpenStack were the people who had a lot of dev, um, developers and, and development chops that could, you know, get into the Linux kernel or, 
or into the project and tweak things as they need to. Uh, I think what you're seeing is as OpenStack becomes definitely easier to deploy um, and in some ways easier to manage, although I think there's still a long way to go. Yeah, every, <laughs> easy is relative, right? Right, it's kind of relative, but it's certainly easier than it was in, in the past. I think now you're starting to see companies that may not have uh, all those developers in-house that could modify OpenStack, but you're seeing more uh, operator types yeah. uh, being sent. You know, folks who, who uh, you know, are more interested in how to um, kind of do upgrades, keep things running, but necessarily change or customize the code. Now, you know, as there's kind of two combinations, I think, that have caused that. One is the more simpler you know, deployment capabilities, mm -hmm. more ease of use stuff that's being built into OpenStack itself, as well as more more folks are willing to go into you know open source projects and products yeah. in general. And there is seemingly more and more developer companies. It was the, I forget who actually said it, but you know, if you're, every company will be a software company, right. it, that, that type of mentality. But people are embracing internal developers, they're embracing cloud consumption. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in Rackspace, of course, they've always had a, an interesting model because they wrap around fanatical support yes. and they actually have multiple cloud offerings. So, you know, as you've seen, you know, of course, there's the VMware business, there's a Microsoft business, and there's the OpenStack business. As since Rackspace was the number one contributor to Rackspace for years, you know, seeing them still obviously heavily involved, but not the number one contributor by well, by code commits, which yeah, not not it's uh, maybe it's a vanity metric to attach to. But how do you see you know now as your experience in walking through new customers that are looking at Rackspace, like mm -hmm. kind of what's what's that attractiveness to to come on board and yeah to yeah. So um, to be fair, I think uh, Rackspace may not be the number one contributor. Let's um, let's say in the Metaka release. Right. Um, but we're, we're still pretty involved. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, we're, we're number five, so we're in the top five in that. And actually, if you look at, and interest, you know, all the stacks only measure from release to release. Right. But you look at actually the entire lifespan of OpenStack, and I believe Rackspace is number two in co-contributions. Yeah. So certainly over the, the entire life of the project, we've been very much involved. That being said, I think uh, uh, that measure, while we still believe strongly in the idea that we need to contribute the code to make the project itself better from a software platform st standpoint, I think where Rackspace brings probably the most value is really operational experience. Right. right? The fact that, as you mentioned, we, we help found OpenStack. So we've been running OpenStack longer than anyone else in the world. Uh, and to this day, we run uh, the largest uh, public cloud based on OpenStack. And we have um, the some of the largest private clouds in the world actually are running on op uh, OpenStack uh, off products that have been developed by Rackspace. Right. So we have a lot of that, hey, that uh, how do you deal with things when you've gotten past 20 nodes? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe you actually want to scale up to 1,000. Yeah. Right. Those, all those uh, bottlenecks and tunings are stuff that we've ran into. And in most cases, what we've done, we've either figured out how to work around it and have that uh, as part of our, our expertise, or in some cases where it actually is a code base uh, issue, we've, uh, we've contributed code back to try to uh, make, take away some of those uh, bottlenecks. 
And have you ever, and you may not know the answer to this question, has Rackspace ever had their own, you know, kind of fork that they've, they've stuck to, or has it always kind of been core, you know, main yeah. trunk type of code delivery that you yeah, so work with? Yeah, so that's a great question. So that, um, so when you talk about uh, OpenStack at Rackspace, there's um, this two different offerings we have. Uh, one is the public cloud that I mentioned. There's also a private cloud as a service offering we have. Right. So the private cloud itself is uh, based on upstream. Uh, we actually have two, two offerings in there as well. One is based on upstream OpenStack. So that one is uh, typically three to six months um, that will come out with a new version uh, based on the uh, just released code. Right. So for example, we recently, um, we have the Liberty uh, release available. Uh, probably within the next three to six months, we'll have a version of uh, Rackspace Private Cloud that's running on Mataka. Right. So that one, obviously, we're staying definitely with the upstream code. Uh, we happen to also offer a, uh, a private cloud as a service based on Red Hat OpenStack, and then we're basically sticking to whatever Cadence Red Hat right. uh, keeps to. Private cloud is a little different. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is uh, Rackspace had a public cloud that wasn't based on OpenStack. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. We, we, we automatically associate, and I've talked with some other folks yeah. about that, and it's like, you, you always say it's Rackspace, oh, yeah, that it must be on OpenStack. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And it's funny, you, you brought up Red Hat. I, I didn't even list that in, the, in the, yeah. the offerings. You forget that, yes, there's a Red Hat you know, iteration of, of OpenStack that's available, that's yeah, a supported that support offering, well. yep. which is cool. So the public clouds, because we had, we had 100,000 you know, whatever number of customers, um, we, we, we couldn't, there wasn't, a, uh, to be frank, there wasn't an easy way to get them all over to right. <laughs> the upstream OpenStack code. So we've had to kind of, we had to kind of introduce OpenStack in pieces. <laughs> um, with now our public cloud is fully on OpenStack, uh, which is great. Nice. But the other component, other thing, but for example, uh, whereas our private cloud uses KVM because that is the, the kind of default that most people use. Yeah. Our public cloud uses Zen, and that's a carryover from the fact that our previous public cloud used, was a Zen-based one, and um, there wasn't a lot of. And that we've talked about migrating people over, but just not. It's not a trivial process to migrate a few hundred thousand customers <laughs> from one hypervisor yeah. to another. So we haven't done that. So that's one thing. The second thing is. Uh, there is, when you run things at scale in production, um, there's, we, what we found was there were certain components within OpenStack in the upstream code that wasn't quite ready <laughs> right. uh, to be run when you have thousands and thousands of uh, hypervisor nodes and instances and you know, hundreds of thousands of network ports. So, what we've had, so the stance we've taken is um, when we can, we use the upstream code. Right. Uh, when we can't, because we need to meet the needs of our customers, we'll, we'll often uh, create our own workaround, our own code, and the, but then we, uh, once that code is tested out, we, we uh, do our best to roll it back into the upstream code. So a good example is actually um, would be uh, Trove. Where we, uh, we, ran tr we had Trove running before there was Trove. <laughs> oh wow, I didn't right? realize. We had database as a service, um, and, and we contributed that back, right? But we also, but we had to do certain things to make sure it worked at scale. Yeah. That wasn't that the community itself wasn't quite ready to accept. Um, so, so we are well on our way to um, to 
to having our public cloud be as close to the upstream code as possible. But there's, I, my, my personal viewpoint is there will always be some lag because of uh, what we do at scale in that environment. Yeah, and, it, and of course, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because we would automatically associate that you know, it's going to be Percona, it's going to be you know, the MySQL, the Oracle folks that are contributing to something like that. But we forget that, of course, you've got a ton of service offerings. Yeah. And like you said, scale. You know, Neutron was probably like Nova Network to Neutron. Mm -hmm. I, I saw that we've now officially restarted the <laughs> deprecation of Nova Network. Right. And I, I think this is definitely the second time, perhaps even more. Like, what does the networking platform look like to you? You know, is is Nova Network truly? We're we're finally done, and you know, Neutron's the way to go. And I know Rackspace has gone through a lot of real yeah. hard yards around the conversion. Absolutely, yeah. We've we are, um, for example, our public cloud is running uh, running on Neutron, but it took a while, right, to move everybody from Nova Networks to Neutron, and we. Uh, and there's certain features within Neutron that we aren't quite ready to adapt. Um, uh, not because we think uh, it's bad code, but because we're not our testing doesn't necessarily show they can work at that scale that we right. have. Might work perfectly fine for a smaller, you know, private cloud. Yeah. Um, and, and in the private cloud space, it's the same thing. We um, we're on Neutron, but uh, we're actually running on Linux Bridge. Oh, okay. uh, because historically we were running, we use OV, uh, Open vSwitch, but we, there were some issues uh, with Open vSwitch, and we decided um, we would we would go back to Linux Bridge and then wait for Open vSwitch to be at a place, um, which it probably is now, um, yeah. where it could actually support what we consider large-scale deployments in private cloud. So we'll probably um, so uh, so the public cloud is actually running Open vSwitch now with Neutron, private cloud is running Linux Bridge. But but we'll obviously at some point also include uh, Open vSwitch. And you've seen a lot of a lot of faces, you know, in community crowds mm -hmm. over the course of the last couple of years and, sure. and more. You give a great session about uh, OpenStack for VMware administrators to kind of help to relate sure. the projects and the features and 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 stuff. How is delivering that session evolved? over the past couple of years? Because I know even regardless of what company you were with, mm -hmm. you, you sort of always kept active in the community and kind of helps people along in that journey. How do the audiences, are there, are there truly much more VMware audiences who are like, yeah, I, I kind of need to figure this out? Yeah, I think actually it, it kind of went through uh, some phases. <laughs> I think initially there was a lot of curiosity and there was more curiosity than anything else. Um, and then I actually felt like there was a period where we didn't, there was the interest waned a little bit. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I think with, um, v when VM, with VMware coming up with their vSphere integrated OpenStack, that's kind of opened the doors to more uh, VMware folks wanting to know more about OpenStack. Um, so I'm starting to see the, the interest rise again from um, VMware folks who want to know what this OpenStack thing is and how it may relate to, or not relate to what they do. Right. Uh, it's always odd when I want to ask negative things, and, and <laughs> I'm not going to walk you into a corner or anything, but what are some of the challenges that you still see happening in the community, in the general OpenStack, whether it's developer, operator, vendor, yeah. community, what are some of the challenges that you see that are like pervasive, things that 
we've seen, you know, whether you know, that they've continued to last through different summits and different iterations. Yeah. I know there's a lot of stuff that's we're always swinging. It's big tent. It's you know, right. it's vendor contributions. There's a lot of different things that have always, you know, gotten people's backs up a little as we talk yeah. about stuff. So, so I'll talk about um, maybe three areas. One is I think. Um, I think for the most part, the community's fairly good at saying, let's, we need to work together. Um, but I think it is a struggle, and, and it may be a understandable struggle uh, for when you have a, a project that has so many vendors, <laughs> as opposed to uh, just end users, where th there's gonna be competing interests. Yeah. Um, the reality is it's hard for, for example, in the storage space, just is where I had a lot of years of experience prior to um, being involved in OpenStack. You know, the storage industry historically has been very contentious. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, and, you know, my feeling on that is because uh, unlike, unlike networking or virtualization, right, it's you can, act, you can be the storage, 800-pound gorilla in storage and not have a majority of the, of the market share. Right. So it kind of reminds, it's kind of like the Trump campaign yeah, or the yeah. Republican campaign, right? You can be 33% and be the and be the, the presumptive leader. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and so as a result, it, it, it creates a lot of content, it can create a lot of contention, and I think it's sometimes difficult enough for that not to carry over, where, the, where vendors will have competing visions of what's the best way to do Cinder, or what's the best way to do, you know, Neutron. Um, and I think that, I, I still see that carry through from, from summit to summit. It's, um, again, I'm not trying to say people aren't are actively trying to squash each other. I'm just saying it's uh, this, there are some, I don't call it baggage, just that people have different visions based on where they're coming from right. in, their, in their technology. And sometimes it's hard to get that to reconcile. Uh, second thing is I, I still, f because there are so many new people, which is great, and a lot of them coming from the VMware space, is there is still an assumption that OpenStack with KVM is really a free version of VMware. Yeah. And so they carry that paradigm over and they go, they assume OpenStack, they architecturally and feature-wise, OpenStack should have the same architecture and feature set as a vSphere environment. Right. And they sometimes get disappointed when that's not the case. Uh, and then the third thing I would say is, um, coming from Rackspace, and because of the experience we have, um, I will say that um, knowing how to operate OpenStack software isn't, doesn't um, automatically make you a cloud operator. Right. Right, it's, um, it's like, and the analogy I, I, I use is um, um, you can learn how to use Microsoft Word, that doesn't make you Stephen King. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, there, there's a lot more to being a writer than being able to operate, to use Microsoft Word or any yeah. other publishing software. In the same way, you can, you can learn how to run OpenStack, which is Okay, necessary and great, but do you have? Doesn't mean you have all the experience and all the other ancillary um, services created that can help you actually run a production level cloud. Yeah, there's definitely, and so that's the. I think the common pitfall that folks get into is that they they stand up an OpenStack environment in their lab or mm -hmm. in their internal environment somehow. They get it working, and. And they put it into you know production in a way, yeah. you know, and like the the challenge is like, did they do it the right way in that they know how to operate it when something goes sideways? And that's the real like, if it works the first time, 
that's a problem. It's no better than developers yeah. that only develop code and they only do use cases that satisfy their code and they only do code that satisfy their use cases without testing for failure and knowing where those you know, fault domains are. Uh, OpenStack as an infrastructure, there's tons of fault domains, not because it's OpenStack, it's a cloud operating system environment, period. If it was vCloud, most people that tried to stand up vCloud on their own, it didn't go well. You know, it was it was not easy. To date, it's still challenging to get vCloud up, configure it so that you consume it as a true cloud consumer, right? And like you said, if you think that OpenStack is going to get rid of your VMware ELA just because it can replace feature functionality, yeah. you're going to be disappointed in two yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah and that's I mean, so that's one of the um, reasons you know at Rackspace we've really kind of. We want to get behind the whole OpenStack is consumed as a service, yeah. whether it's through public cloud and private cloud, because we think the um, for most customers, not for all customers, but most customers, uh, the road from not knowing OpenStack at all to being a not just a person who knows how to operate the software, but being an actual cloud service provider for their end users, it's such a big long road that we think. We ask, well, why do you? Why should you even bother that? Why, you know, let someone who actually runs, yeah. <laughs> and experience running a cloud service right on OpenStack, do it for you, and you, and then um, as an operator or architect, you can focus more on helping your users figure out how to develop things on top of OpenStack, uh, as opposed to uh, trying to learn a skill set that a is difficult for you to learn, and b may not be the best use of your time and resources. And let's talk about that, you know, and it's maybe in a different product area yeah. and, and area in the in the company, but, you know, the further up the stack mm -hmm. content, you know, yep. getting developers on board, teaching them cloud-native development methodologies and stuff. What's what's Rackspace doing and, and what do you see in general in the community happening to help folks to be able to consume a cloud like yeah. a cloud, not just like a traditional vert, you know, monolithic yeah. style of app? Yeah, great question. I'll start with the, found, uh, the community. I, I think the foundation has actually gotten better about that. So, that I, uh, for example, I, uh, one of the new tracks that they have running, kind of running through the, the summit this time around was a uh, an app kind of, I, I forgot the name of it, but I think it's something like, like um, cloud applications track. Yeah. And it was all focused around how do you, how do you build applications using the OpenStack APIs and OpenStack? Yeah, services. the new yeah building as yeah. cloud native or cloud yeah. whatever. But right. yeah, and there's like some workshops you know, called like building your first app. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's all um, good things. I think uh, that's all kind of part of the process of. I think for a while there we were kind of maybe because we have so many infrastructure vendors involved. There was a lot of focus on how to integrate OpenStack with the underlying infrastructure, yeah. and maybe not as much talk about how to, uh, the no, more of the northbound APIs, how to integrate with tooling yeah. that developers would want to use uh, in order to uh, build great applications. So I think that's still that's something that's starting to happen, but needs to go further. Uh, on the Rackspace side, um, I think that a couple of things. One is we we actually offer. On our public cloud, we actually offer services, services on top of open, the base OpenStack. Right. Stuff like database as a service, Trove, right? Where you can you know, spin up a database and not have to worry about <laughs> the underlying infrastructure. Um, where 
we, Rackspace itself offers MongoDB as a service called Object, Object Rocket, and that could be paired up and run on top of Open, uh, right. OpenStack Public Cloud or uh, OpenStack Private Cloud. So there are things we're doing uh, in a, from a services standpoint. Um, we also have uh, been starting to offer um, what we call DevOps, I think DevOps services, automation services, where we either help people with automating their infrastructure, but we also help people with uh, kind of consulting on how to transform their IT to allow developers and operators to work together yeah. better. And, that's, uh, and I think that's, that's a very helpful thing as well. Because you guys have the, the Karina, uh, uh, it's like getkarina.com, I think, or whatever. Yeah, like so that's a new service um, that uh, focused on containers, yeah. uh, kind of containers of service. Uh, right now, based on Docker Swarm, um, obviously other things like Kubernetes might come later. Um, so that, yeah, so that's a obviously that's a that, that's part of that things like the database as a service or, um, or or orchestration based on heat, which are tooling to allow developers to um, be able to abstract away the infrastructure. Yeah, and you and build applications. So that I think those work well paired up again with some of our. Uh, automation consulting services where we're actually teach, helping people learn what the culture is, the proper culture is to have to enable you to move really fast. And it, just as an example, I know on like the, the Karina project as well, there's, I, I think there's a, like a free service, a certain amount of hours that are available for developers that want to try it out. Do you, do yeah, so, so right now Karina is in, a, in beta. Right. So that, I mean, that's no charge, obviously, because it's beta. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can people can still sign up for that, um, and that we have great documentation, video training. Um, <coughs> so that's a great way to get started. Um, I think what you're talking about is we actually have in place, um, and this is not just for Kerner; it's actually for our public cloud in general. Is if you're a developer, you can sign up for a program where you get one year free. Oh, of right. That's Rack right. Space yeah, yeah. Public cloud. Um, and it's not just, hey, you can spin up one VM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually being able to spin up a stack that includes things like load balancers. Yeah. Um, that you could basically use if you want to use our public cloud to prototype a new application. And actually, I've I've used that service, and I ran out my my free year, and I've actually maintained a lot of active yeah. services. My my website, uh, my Disco Posse website, is actually fronted by a Rackspace load nice. balancer, yeah. and it's running in like DigitalOcean and yeah, Rackspace yeah. and in AWS, and it's all. But I've left Rackspace as, as in front of it, and it's cool because yeah. otherwise I probably wouldn't have tested the waters on it. So it was a good way, and we'll put links in the show notes about how to, yeah. to get folks in inbound to take a look at that. Yeah, and then part of that, I said, it's it's more than just offering this, uh, tools, and it's also helping people, right? It's also Rackspace's kind of fanatical support you mentioned earlier. It's it's more than just here's some tools, some documentation. It's also if you need it, here's some people to help you. So um, so that uh, free year of uh, Rackspace with a cloud for developers as well as the Corinna uh, contains a service. Yep. It's kind of backed by a group within, a group of developer advocates within Rackspace, whose sole job is to say, how do we enable developers to be successful with Rackspace services and products? So, And the, the good thing is, you know, not to take it away from, from that, but like in general, this is a great 
whether people choose to consume Rackspace or AWS or whatever it is, just the, the methods they're learning by using these products and toolkits. Like I said, it's the tooling that's above the IaaS layer. Right, absolutely. Now, and that is a lather, rinse, repeat into multiple environments, which is the like kind of the goal. We want to be able to create more homogeneity of yeah. one app wherever I want it. And yeah, and a good, a good example is the Quinner uh, service. Um, you're using us to, um, we make it easy for you to spin up a, currently a Docker Swarm environment. But once that's up and running, um, you're using Docker APIs. You're not using any Rackspace only APIs. Um, and our developer advocates and our documentation, and the documentation produced will help you figure out how to use, do something useful with those Docker APIs. And so obviously the things you're learning there isn't only applicable then on Rackspace but it can be used in any environment where the Docker APIs are being used. Right. Now, another thing that I, I noticed a lot of, you know, I, I'm going to call this the, the, the Kuber stack, or the Cube stack, uh, you yeah. know, event. Everybody, a lot of people come up and they said, I'm just coming here to learn how to use OpenStack, learning how it's viable, and a lot of the presentations were how people are using Kubernetes mm -hmm. to consume OpenStack and OpenStack to consume. Yes. It's funny, it's like bi-directional con consumption of Inception. of services. And a lot of folks are like, I, like, I'm just trying to figure out OpenStack and now I feel like I'm already behind because I'm not <laughs> gonna use, I don't know how to use Kubernetes in conjunction with OpenStack. How do you, how do you see the fact that like this has to be a leading edge, bleeding edge type of conference. We're sharing exciting ways that people are really going to the next generation. Do, do we worry that as a community that that kind of scares some folks away from thinking, like I'm, I'm now two steps behind. I wanted to learn OpenStack and all I'm seeing is Kubernetes on OpenStack and I'm already, okay. I feel like I'm, I'm behind again. Yeah, I think the key there is if, if we can do a good job of making it easy for end users <laughs> and the operators yeah. to use OpenStack and then say, you know what, we're also going to make it easy for you to use and operate Kubernetes on top of OpenStack. Um, then I think instead of people worrying that I have to learn these two really complicated technologies, it'd be great if they say, hey, I want to learn open, Kubernetes of OpenStack because that's the easiest way yeah. to get it up and running. I'm not saying, obviously we're not there, um, but I think that's a goal. We, the goal we should have, and I, there's some small steps happening. For example, in the Metaka release, um, there's been, in a few areas, they've tried to do things that simplify uh, certain operations that used to take much longer. Things like the Keystone, they were able to reduce the steps to set up Keystone from, I think, four steps to one. Yeah. Uh, they did a thing where, uh, where it was, used to be really difficult for end user to figure out how to get a net neutron network <laughs> yes. connected instance. And now they've kind of developed a concept of a, hey, get me a network. Yeah. Right? Where it's kind of abstracts away a lot of those steps. Um, so we can start doing more things like that for all of OpenStack. Um, then it makes it easier for you to, and then try to do that for Kubernetes. Then it removes some of the barriers to entry. And obviously the other ways, and the way that obviously I would advocate as a, as a racker is if you consume OpenStack as a service, then actually you don't worry about knowing, you don't worry about OpenStack, you can right. just focus on Kubernetes. Um, because, just, because OpenStack is just that infrastructure layer you're consuming. You're not worrying about all the stuff underneath it. 
Yeah, you just have to worry about API. That's yes, it, right. and and all the all the nuts and bolts that that are that are glued together to make it work. Hmm. You know, and you get your uptime guarantees and everything yeah, that, that's exactly. wrapped around it. So the other thing that I always like to to help people get started, and you know, what's a what are good resources people can go to if they if they're getting started with OpenStack? Yeah. You know, what's a place to go as an operator maybe? Because I think a lot of our audience is operators in virtualization and they are kind of making this next jump to you know whether it's public cloud or private cloud but how do folks make that first step in the journey yeah so i think um place to start obviously is the openstack.org website because that helps you kind of get an overall feel and context for for the project and the platform um i think that in recent years there's been a lot of good books written um, that helps you kind of learn what OpenStack is and how to use it. Um, we've been fortunate because of the expertise we have at Rack, Rackspace that um, we've had actually, I think, four books out, four books out now yep. um, that talk about, that explain how to use OpenStack. Um, and so uh, the, kind of reading those books and following them will at least help you get started. And then from there, um, to be honest, if, if you're the one of those people who who say, I just need to, um, for whatever reason, I need to be knowing how to operate OpenStack. The only way to learn it is to actually use it. Yeah. <laughs> right, and kind of learn the hard knocks. Uh, obviously, some of these summit talks we have are um, helpful. Um, we do the, I think we do it every summit, uh, including this one. We've had talks from Rackspace folks who go, hey, guess what? When we, uh, when we hit a, 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 a thousand nodes, you know, um, we saw this problem yeah. and realized that you know, if we changed this setting in Rabbit MQ, we could actually uh, get the provisioning time. I think in one case, we, just a small change in, uh, in Rabbit MQ settings allowed us to go from deploying 500 hypervisors or 500 VMs in, uh, from 17 minutes with a 25% failure rate to yep. Five, four minutes with a with a hundred percent success rate. Wow! Just by making a few tuning in RabbitMQ and then in Neutron. So it's, those are the kind of stuff you can watch these talks and they'll help. Um, again, you, you know, I'm going to be biased and say, if 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 you don't have the time and the resources to do that, um, you're better maybe you're better off letting someone like Rackspace handle that for you, so you can just focus on learning how to consume the APIs and to build applications. And uh, the other one I always like to pick on is what's a what's a non-tech book or maybe like a good a good book that you like to help transformation. How do we yeah. as as operators and consumers of IT learn to transform how we think about technology to get ready for the next generation? Yeah, so I think I come from an operator background uh, myself. Um, I used to be a Windows Windows NT four O and Unix. To the, to, uh, I'm sorry, Solaris 7. Nice. Uh, administrator. <laughs> um, and I think historically, operators and admins have known very little about what developers do, what they care about. Um, so I would, but I think that has to change. It is changing. So if you're someone in that camp who's like, I've never talked to a developer, you know, they just give me some requirements that I think it's horribly um, stated, yeah. and I just kind of give them stuff and and then they throw stuff over the wall at me that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to, for you to get into the 
understand where developers are coming from and why they have the, they have the requirements they have. Because ultimately, we want to serve our bus the business and developers are serving the business by developing great apps and our job is to make sure we give an environment for the developers to work in, that they can develop apps quickly, right. and then support making sure applications stay running, right? Uh, so I would always recommend if uh, reading a book like um, The New Kingmakers by Stephen O'Grady. Yeah, that one's helps, come up a few times. Because it helps you kind of think through why a developer, why it matters to know what a developer thinks. Um, I think, uh, Jez Humble's book, I think on... Like, that he has continuous delivery. Yeah, and he has another one for en uh, Enterprise. Yeah, they're... Uh, Lean Enterprise, I think. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, Lean, Lean Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, it's a really, really good yeah. book. I've got that all, we'll put yeah, show notes. I would highly that recommend that. Um, again, to learn, kind of get out of your silo a little bit and learn from um, a, a little more of a, almost like a overall business value perspective, why IT matters and what IT needs to deliver. So I'm a really big believer in that is uh, you need to know why. <laughs> yeah. Why do, you, why do you have the job you do? Why do you need to do things that you do and not just focus on the, on the what and the how? Nice. Excellent. Well, we're, uh, we're at time, unfortunately, Ken, but let's, uh, we'll, I, I want to bring you on again in future and maybe sure. talk, especially with the, the on-premises offering of Rackspace, very interesting. Yep. That's a separate discussion, so we'll definitely, uh, that'll be, as it evolves, I want to talk about sure, it. Sure, absolutely. But, uh, so where do folks find you online if they want to interact and, and, and find out more about you? Yeah, so I blog um, uh, now regularly at the, blog, at the Rackspace blog site, um, blog.rackspace.com. I have a personal blog site called Cloud Architect Musings, where I'm going to start blogging a little bit more, and I'll be in an area where I'll a, uh, a point people to the Rackspace site on stuff I wrote, but also I'll put in some stuff that may not necessarily be related to Rackspace, but may be of interest to people, things like uh, containers, for yeah. example. Um, uh, and, then, uh, and then if you want to talk, kind of do more interactive, um, I'm on Twitter or at KenHuiNY, that's K-E-N, H-U-I-N-Y, and you can, you know, you cannot tweet me, and uh, my d direct message is open, so anyone can DM me, even if you, we, don't, you don't, we don't follow each other. So. Nice, excellent. Well, thanks very much, Ken. It's always great to chat. Yeah. Uh, for folks who want to uh, listen to more great content like this, of course, you can go to gcondemand.io, and you can see the list of our show notes, uh, links to all the previous shows, how to get signed up for iTunes and or Stitcher, uh, our RSS feed there as well to put into your podcast consumption app of choice. Uh, and of course, you can find me. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. You can also reach me through the Green Circle community. I'm Disco Posse inside there. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And enjoy uh, OpenStack Summit. Uh, and if you want to watch online, of course, we'll put show notes to the YouTube uh, for a lot of the great sessions. In fact, we'll have some of Ken's sessions uh, and uh, other good sort of content that we want to see and, and share out that's freely available, which is the best part of uh, a lot of the stuff we do in this community. Thanks, Thanks, Eric. Eric.